0: Make sure you say hello to him today. It's a special thing. Mark is now in uh, Parkland's care home, just up the road here. So if you're thinking of visiting Mark, he's in uh, Parkland's care home now. But he's here today. And if there's any friends from long ago here, you're really, really welcome. You're really welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Okay, I ho- I'm hoping I might get to the point of dangerous prayers today. I've tried twice now to get to the stage of preaching on dangerous prayers. We'll see how we go. This is number three in a series I've been doing on praying, because I believe God wants to just raise the level and the temperature within each one of us, because it's got to come from within us. We've got to want to be in God's presence, got to love him. But here's this initial thing to kick us off. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's my prayer today, that God, you would teach us, all of us, Lord, to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So let me just recap the last couple of messages because I started by saying no one prays as much as they think they would like to or they feel that they should. So just take any condemnation off yourself if you're feeling condemned that somehow you should be doing better. In fact, tell the person next to you, God doesn't condemn you. And tell tell uh, someone else, he loves it when you talk to him. And he's always willing to listen to you because you've got a special place in his heart. Tell someone around you that. And Don, he even loves... Oh, Don's gone. But others, he even loves your sense of humor. First will be last, last will be first. You know, the first message I spoke about was that, and then God wants us to pray audacious, shamelessly audacious prayers. You'll see some of the scriptures up on the thing to, to remind you about this. Um, most of us are too timid, too small thinking, and we settle for a small contained life instead of the big and expansive life that God has for you. Tell the person next to you, you've got an expansive life out there yet to come. It's for you, expansive, not just in this area, not just in the tummy, but in your head and in your experience. Pray shamelessly audacious prayers. I heard a guy, a guy called J. John. It's a real name. It is his name. He's a canon in the um, Anglican Church in England, and he's such a laugh to hear preach. How many have heard him? I know you have, Steve. We just so enjoyed him, eh, when we heard him. And he said, you know, he flies a lot, and he says, you get this thing, you sit down, oh, what do you do for a job? And you have this banter backwards and forwards. So he said, look, depending on how I'm feeling, I sometimes say I work for a global company. (laughs) And and he said, uh, you know, they're thinking Facebook, they're thinking Google, they're thinking the big IBMs of this world. And he goes, yeah, yeah. um, In fact, we've got branch offices in every country in the world. They go, oh. And he goes, yeah, actually in every city there are offices. And in fact, in every town in the world there are offices. And they go, well, what sort of work are you in? Oh, we're in the people business. <laughs> you know, oh, we've got orphanages and we've got hospitals and we've got schools and we've got universities. And the people are going, wow, wow, wow. And he goes, oh, and we're the first to respond in any humanitarian crisis. We will have our people on the ground there first who do you work for? He goes, oh, the church. He says it completely changes the conversation from that moment on. It's not like I'm a pastor. And the reason I say this little story is because every orphanage, every cathedral, every drug rehabilitation center was started because someone dared to pray an audacious prayer. They thought, this is impossible, but I'm going to pray it anyway, because it's in my heart to pray audaciously. And God says that to us. We need to pray audaciously. Is that a good reason to get cracking and and to, to make some disciplines and routines in our lives for prayer? You can say yes. You'll encourage me if you actually say yes, John. If you stand up and go preach it, I'll be even more encouraged. You know, so often we hold back. Because if you are genuinely born again, then God's placed dreams in your heart. And they're often so big and so out there, you think, oh, it's impossible. But you know what the Bible says about impossible? It says, say it with me, nothing is impossible to God. And it may start small, but it could become a university that you're sitting on. And then last time I spoke about, I spoke about the words in Luke chapter eighteen, one to 8 that we should pray and ask and never give up. And um, the, the scripture there says, um, it's like someone needing bread and they come and stand outside your house, but... I've been to Israel, and I've seen the size of houses Jesus was talking about. It's like your lounge divided into three rooms, and one's the kitchen, and one's the bedroom. I can't get up. My kids are now in the sleeping quarters, he says. For us today, we're talking about a tiny house. Now, you imagine, it's the middle of the night. You're asleep in your tiny house with your young family. Nice scenario? Okay, and a friend of yours turns up and starts banging, Hey, get up, get up, I need you... I need your car keys. I need to be able to take um, a friend of mine, a mate of mine, back to his place. Get up, get up, wake up, wake up. Before long, you will get out of bed in your tiny house. You will scramble down your narrow little um, uh, stairs, and and you you will give that person the car keys, and you'll open your wallet, and you'll give them money as well in case there isn't enough gas in there, just so they don't come back and disturb your sleep again. And he's teaching us we should pray and not give up. Danny Guglielmucci is a, is a, a neat pastor. He's someone I would call an apostle in, in this world. And uh, he says this. He says, success is just a long walk in the same direction. You want to know success in the things that you're doing, then get the right direction and just keep walking no matter what comes up. If you have to step over things, then step over those things, but keep going in the same direction. And that's what Jesus is saying. When we're praying for things, we should just not give up and we should just keep on praying. Persist. But in verse 8 of that of the last um, time's sermon two weeks ago, it says Jesus says, but will I find faith on the earth? And it's as if he's saying, I'm telling this to the whole church across the whole globe, but how many will keep walking? How many will keep persisting? How many will keep asking until the breakthrough comes? And it's as if he's saying, actually, I don't think there'll be that many in Christendom who will actually hold on. They'll settle back and they'll say, oh, these are the parameters that I'm supposed to live in. And they'll squeeze into those parameters and they'll begin to live a comfortable life instead of trusting God and praying dangerous prayers. So this morning, I want to, I want to share a scripture to you, a story in the Bible that if we understand it, radically changes our understanding of prayer and what is possible. It's the first miracle that Jesus did. What is it? Water into wine. You're right. If we just bring up that scripture. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Cana's not far from, from Nazareth where, where Jesus was born. It's probably, Graham, can you help me? Ten kilometers 10 k's away, it's pretty uphill and then settles off. But Jesus was just close by going to this wedding of people that he knew. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, gone Jesus' mother says to him, Son, they've got no more wine. And then there's this strange reply from Jesus. Dear woman... Anyone call their mother dear woman? (laughs) Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But look what his mother does. She ignores him. Anyone got a mother like that? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, and each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. One, two, three. God's going, I'm going to make more than they need. Four, five, six. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now's the time to take some to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did a double take. He didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Boy, I'll bet they did. are wondering what's going to happen. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Now no one's going, wow! Because we've heard the story many times in our Christian life. But really it's a story that deserves, wow! This story is stunning, absolutely stunning. It's so out there. And I want to give you two reasons why it is out there. The father is almost ready to reveal his son to the Jewish people. This is the moment when he's going to let the world know the very nature and the character of the God that they've been seeking for 4,000 years or more. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just about to establish a brand new relationship called a covenant with human beings. It starts with the Jews, and then it's going to spread to every other nationality around the world as well. The new covenant. And this new covenant has been designed by God, where the old covenant was actually partly designed by men. We look at Genesis to Jesus and we think that's the old covenant. No, it's not. That's a period of around about 4,000 plus years, depending on whether you're an old earth or a young earth Christian. In the Old Testament, there are about four different covenants. The last one of 1,500 years, 1,470-something years, is the old covenant, the law-based covenant. And if you remember, I, I actually need to preach on this again. This isn't preaching on this. This is just mentioning it. I need to uh, speak on this a little, some more at another time. But the old covenant was established differently to how God wanted it to be established. Do you remember that Moses and the Israelites were all told, come up the mountain to me? They were all to be priests before God. Everyone, every single person was invited to come up the mountain, just as Moses was invited to come up the mountain and to hear direct from God. And the people said, because of fear, no, Moses, you go up and whatever God tells you, you come back down and tell us, and then we will do what God has said. It's a crazy thing to say because no human being ever has been able to do the right thing in every single situation. But in the Old Testament there, the covenant that basically has given God's reputation to the world of being judgmental, violent, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and made God austere and someone that the world thinks, I don't want to get to know this God, was because the children of Israel said, you go Moses, you listen to what God says, come back and tell us his rules, and then we will live those things out. You see, it's a law-based covenant, and a law-based covenant says this, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. It's justice by the law. And now a new covenant is being established because God knew from the very start and people found out over their lifetimes this was not a covenant that could work for humanity. It required sacrifice after sacrifice after forgiveness after forgiveness after sacrifice because human beings, were broken on the inside. And so we do wrong. And now a brand new covenant is about to be revealed. You know, do you remember when um, a few years back, I'm talking, some of you probably weren't born when this was happening, when the America's Cup. <coughs> when they would do reveals, can we have the, the picture up? And they would put a skirt all around the whole boat because they did not want the media to be able to take photographs of each person's keel until there was a certain reveal. And at a certain day that was too close for the other boats to be able to make the changes in their boat design, or very much change, each, each boat would be revealed and you'd see the keel that's there. It's the day of revealing. Today, they don't bother with that, they do the next thing. They just create computer images and show everyone what their keel's like. But back in that day, there was protected until a certain day when the reveal came and the media snapped away, and every syndicate had other their spies looking at it and analyzing the boat and seeing whether their boat was going to be able to go faster and what they could do to make their boat faster after they saw the technology on this boat. And God's just about to do the reveal of the Messiah. The first miracle. The first miracle tells us what the real and true nature of the God that they've been trying to serve for around 4,000 years as a people is actually like. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. The very first thing God chooses to do is to make copious amounts of wine and bless a wedding. And it tells us categorically, our God is not like the world thinks he is. He likes people. He likes humans celebrating. Anyone like a celebration? He likes it when you're in celebration mode. He likes it when you're at the wedding. He likes it when you're at the rugby. He likes it when you're just so passionate about things because he likes celebration. He likes and enjoys people having a good time. He's not a killjoy, he's not rigid and old fashioned. He, he's, he values and he resources weddings. And that means that he's got resources to enhance any marriage, no matter what condition that marriage is actually in. And man, that's good news for some of us. Some of you. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. And the religious people are going, they can't believe that God could be this kind of God. The religious people are, God doesn't like joy. Stop it. Stop enjoying yourself. God wants silence, reverence. There's a place for silence and reverence. But when the reveal came and the skirt came off the boat, God showed us in the first miracle that was done all of these things that I'm talking about. And He could have chosen anything to reveal His true nature. And he did. He gave copious amounts of wine so people could be blessed. He's fun. He's festive and generous and creative in his nature. But best of all, he not only loves human beings, but he likes them. Tell the person next to you that he really likes you. Now tell the person you didn't tell, the one you didn't choose. He's saying, I am a good God and I delight to be able to help people. And you know, the more we can understand and get it down to here that God, our God is good, then the more we will trust Him. If we think God is this Old Testament picture of this this law-based entity then we'll stay at arm's length and prayer won't be something that becomes a real joy to us. But when we understand that God is this generous, creative, festive, loving being in his core nature and he's for us, then we'll want to be in his, in his presence. You know, the second thing that, it, that this passage shows is timing. It's as if the father wasn't going to do the first miracle at this Cana wedding. It's as if this was just going to be a normal wedding. Jesus and his mum and his disciples are all going to be there and they'd all have a good time and it'd be nice. But the real first miracle was going to happen in a a wedding in a couple of weeks' time. The father was going to bless Mary and, well, Mary's not a good name, Rachel and Jack's wedding at some other venue. You read the passage, it's as if even Jesus didn't expect it, right? You getting it? He's like, woman, it's not my time. And Mary does something which changes the time. The father's got it all planned for some point in the future. And Mary does something that absolutely changes the time. So what did she do? Well, clearly she was full of faith. And God responds to faith. True? So then where did the faith in Mary come from? Now, it doesn't say in the text, but I think it's not at all hard to to deduct from the text that it came from Mary's persistent prayer for her son's ministry and life to begin. She got told about it 30 years earlier. And she's been praying, God, is today the day? You said it's going to happen, God. This reveal is going to take place. Is today the day. And she's been praying that for years. Stepping in the same direction, praying, until suddenly her faith reaches a level where the future becomes now. Can you see that? Yeah. This absolutely changes the reality of the power of prayer when we understand this. You and I have the particular Potential to move the hand of God. Okay? You and I have the potential to be able to move the hand of God. We can change the timing of what God intends to take place if we will be people who will actually walk in the same direction of prayer and stay after God. And if we do that, there will come a suddenly there will come a a shift and a change and it'll probably take us by surprise and we'll go, how did that happen? What? Look, wow, wow, wow. All these things going on around us. But it's because we've stayed true to what we've been asking God for. So I want to ask you, will you determine to keep on praying? If you want a year like last year, then just stay at the level where you are. You'll get it again. But if you're looking for more, if you want God to do the things that only God can do and to bring the changes around your life and around this church and around the trust that we we are uh, 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 running that moves out into the community, let's determine to pray together. And believe that these things will take place. See, God God wants partners. He doesn't want to act just sovereignly. He wants people to partner with Him, to ask, to expect, to participate. Let me clarify what I'm saying here. Persistent prayer will lead to breakthrough. Sudden and unexpected, and it will happen. And what we can legitimately pray for just got expanded a hundredfold. I don't quite know how to say it again. (laughs) If Mary can move the hand of God and the reveal shows a God who's willing to give one. Now remember, God says no to drunkenness. And remember also, weddings in those days lasted for days, sometimes for a whole week. So we're not talking about God wanting everybody to get sloshed. But we are talking about a generous, creative, amazing, abundant, over-the-top, beyond what could possibly be expected, miracle from our God. So what are you asking for? God probably wants to expand it and give more and be more lavish upon you and I. I'll try that again. Because it's still not getting through. It's, you're still looking at it here. Let it drop down. That's the nature of our God. I remember hearing a pastor when I was at Hillsong um, uh, many years ago talking about a brown Hyundai day or a red Mustang day. He said he was, he was going out to visit a church. Um, he had to fly to a certain city and then he had about a three-hour drive. He goes looking at the car yards and he spots a brown Hyundai and he thought, oh, that's pretty church, isn't it? Brown Hyundai. He walks a little bit further on to another car yard and he spots a red Mustang. This one had the roof that came down. And and he was just so funny talking about the deliberation within himself. What should he do? Which car should he rent? What should he do on this day? He's going as a pastor. Should he turn up in a brown Hyundai or should he turn up with the top down and his hair a mess in a red Mustang after three hours of driving across the plains of Australia? What do you reckon he would have gone for? What's the church response? What does Jesus want him to do? What sort of day should he have? He serves a lavish, wonderful God who does things... Thirty gallons times six. When everyone's already drunk lots of wine, what's this God? What what would God expect him to do? Well, he came to the conclusion it should be a red Mustang day, and I just we laughed at his story. But we're faced with that all the time. What do we really expect God could have for us? If you want a brown Hyundai life, and I'm talking 20 years ago. I'm not talking about the nice horse. Some of you have got lovely Hyundais. I own a Hyundai. I like it. It's a great car these days. But 20 years back, it was a little different. What do you really expect? The God of the universe who loves you to want for your life. You know, I chatted to a pastor friend of mine. I said, I've got cancer. Uh, this was Thursday night, and he said, "Ah, oh, said we can, you know, he says you've got to step into that, don't you? If you know God can heal, but John, you've got to step into it. You've got to want it. You've got to want that healing. You just go passive on it all, and who knows? But you go after God for that, and seek that healing from Him. He's a lavish. He didn't say all those words. So I'm just preaching it." It's evangelistically speaking. <laughs> but this is us. And we get to choose in everyday circumstances of so many things in our lives. So, how should we pray to a, such a wonderful God who loves red Mustangs? You know, prayers that move the heart of God aren't long, wordy prayers, they're not religious speech. They're simple, they're authentic, they're heartfelt. But simple is not the same as safe. We've got to stop praying safe prayers. You know the book of Revelation tells us God says, "Get cold if you like, or get hot, but don't be lukewarm. Don't want to be comfortable and, and have your will. God, I want my will just Make it all nice. Bless the food for me again, Lord. Bless the food for me again, Lord. Bless the food for me again, Lord. We think hot, lukewarm, cold. God thinks hot, cold, lukewarm. He wants us to pray dangerous prayers. So what would dangerous prayers look like? I've got three suggestions. The first one is this, and it it comes out of um, where Jesus actually said, make sure you pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers out into the harvest field because the fields are ripe under harvest. A dangerous prayer for us to pray is to pray every day, God send out people from St. Albans Baptist Church out into the community and out into the places where they work so that they can have Spiritual conversations. Now, if you pray that, that's a dangerous prayer. You're, but, but look around. You're praying it for Trenton. You're praying it for uh, Nat. You're praying it for the, everyone else but you. Well, that's okay. But the dangerous part of it is that, Lord, get them. We've got this many coming back. And often God says, okay, I love your prayer, I love you, I can see your heart, John, I can see it, but I'm actually going to make you the answer to your own prayer. I'll stir the others up, I'll heat them up, but now that I've got your heart on this, I'm going to send you out into the harvest field. You know, after Joey's funeral, one of the guys at the service came to me and he said I love what you talked about life after death experiences and he talked to me about um the life after death experience that he'd had you know and and we talked a little bit on the spiritual things and and then he he came to a point where he said but but I'm not scared of death anymore because of what I've experienced and I said but where does Jesus fit into all this and he goes and just a little bit further on I came to a chicken line, would I talk about, I didn't think about it till afterwards actually, but I should have said, what say hell's real? How do you relate what you experienced if hell is also real? That would have taken our conversation much, much further. But I've been praying that prayer, God, send out people from this church out into this community for months months and months every day because it's on my phone and I just get a reminder that comes up. Here's another dangerous prayer Um, why don't you go learn Tereo? and that way when there's anything official that happens in your work you can do a karakia and you can pray the most powerful God honouring, God asking prayers and no European will know what you're saying and they won't stop you from doing it either, because Maori has become something that is uh, respected, and they pray karakia. They they have karakia each time. Just a thought. The third dangerous prayer would be to pray this: "God is there any, when you're up against it. God is there any other way? But nevertheless, if there isn't any other way, I want Your will over my will." That's what Jesus prayed. Just a real quick thought. Sandra and I have prayed this prayer a number of times through our life. I basically put this out to Sandra before I asked her to marry me. And we had long conversations in the car, as you do. They were great conversations, actually. I really enjoyed them. But I said, I've got the call of God on my life to be a pastor. I know that's where I'm heading. I was a teacher at that stage. And I, I said, this is what's going to happen in my life. If you marry me, you have to be willing to come to the, into the pastorate. And secondly, I'm prepared to go to the Eskimos if God says Eskimos. There's a better name than that these days. Inuit. And so Sandra, um, Sandra said yes when I did eventually ask her. And, and our adventure started to take place as God brought me into the pastorate. And then after 12 years, we both knew we were to leave. And so we started praying, God, not our will, but your will. And we, we f- uh, sensed a call to this church. But to go, we had to deny ourselves of our family, Sandra's mum and dad, brothers and sisters, my mum and dad, brothers and sisters, And we just said, look, whatever the cost, that's fine. And in those days, you could fly to Auckland for about the cost of a ticket to Australia. You'd get close to the shores of Australia for the same amount of price of the ticket. It was before cheap tickets. So we thought, well, we'll see our family maybe every three years or so if we take the pastorate down here. And we said, that's okay. It's a cost we're willing to to have. And, And... and then Sandra's mum was killed by a drugged driver driving into her. And for everything within Sandra, it was a desire to come back to her, where her father was and her family were and to be part of the support for her father with the loss of her mother. And she had to just leave it with her brother and, uh, and her sister to care for him. And our kids started to... Uh, be separated from um, their uh, cousins and uh, from grandparents because they're they're living here. But God calls us to deny ourselves. We decided that. God, not your will, but... but, Sorry, not our will, but your will. And we made the choice to come down here. And then my dad gets dementia and and I have to leave my brother to handle all of that. And I see him maybe three times before he passes away. And and then... um, Uh, just the the things that have have gone on that have caused us to be a long way distant. But our God is a good God because cheap tickets came. $49 flights came down here. Possibility to come and go just increased dramatically. And then prophetic word came to me from various people saying that I needed to be on the, God wanted me on the the. Our denomination's leadership team, and now I get paid six times a year to fly to Auckland, and Sandra always comes with me, and and we are able to have a uh, uh, we stay with Sandra's father, and because we stay there, our relationship has just come amazingly close, and uh, we just love being there. And we every Friday night that we're there, we invite all our family over for a meal, and we have this raucous family time where it's just laughter and fun, and the kids have become connected with their, their, Sandra's dad and with my mother. And my bro, me being down here, my mother as she's age, she's 94 now, uh, 95 next month, and uh, she's not well, and she has leaned and, leaned and leaned and leaned and leaned and leaned upon my brother. And I've just had to say, God, I can't do anything about it, although I see her more now than before. But, you know, dangerous prayers take us into the place where God begins to use us, way beyond what happens when we just stay with comfortable. Can I have the team come up? And I want to, I want to say to you, friends, the Christian life is all about dangerous prayers. I've mentioned just two dangerous prayers and one suggestion with Tereo. but I just encourage you, will you start to pray in a new way dangerous prayers? It's the zone where things begin to happen. And they will happen over your life just because you're stepping into it day after day, asking God, use me. Let your will come to pass. Let the things that you have for my life take place. Have I got any friends that want to be saying to God, that sort of thing? Give me a wave if this is you today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can I just say, if you, if you don't know this God, this amazingly generous God that we serve, um, he's calling you, he loves you, he's got a plan for your life, he's got the resources of heaven, and he opens the door that not just relationship in this life, but relationship in heaven. So I just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Could we just have every head bowed and I just simply want to, want to pray. And this is what I want to you'd ask you to pray under your, under your breath. Father, I know that I've also done wrong but I want relationship, friendship with you. Please forgive me for my sins and come into my life I receive you, Jesus. Thank you that I get to be part of your plan for this world. Be my leader. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, if you prayed that prayer, please come and see me today or next week. I would love to meet you.